Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Up next, an independent-minded teenager goes out on her own. Leisha decided to be an adult and act like an adult, and she did. But she wasn't an adult. And that made her a target. Leisha's murder was heartbreaking and tragic. It totally and completely changed our lives. There are few clues, no witnesses, and lots of questions. This case sticks with me. You've got a young 16-year-old vibrant girl, and then all of it taken away because of someone's selfish needs. Family members say that from the time she was a child, Leisha Schollmeyer showed a streak of independence they could barely contain. Leisha was the eldest child. I had her at a very young age, and as a result, I treated her more like a little sister, I think, than, than a daughter for a while. Leisha was not your typical teenager. She was like a mini-mom. She was my everything. Um, I was secure in this world with her. In 1977, Leisha was 16 and determined to strike out on her own. She got her own apartment in downtown Salt Lake City. I was married at 16, and I thought I was grown up, and I had a baby by the time I was 17. And I don't think she thought of it as being extraordinary, that she would step out and, and start living her own life. I never doubted her ability to do it. She did call me every Thursday night at 7 o'clock to reassure me that she was okay and that, you know, everything was fine. But Leisha, living by herself, was not without problems. Someone broke into her apartment. She came home from work, and there's the door laying on the floor. She didn't have very many possessions, you can imagine. She Just a, a cheap little TV and a stereo. But she had a jar with her tips in it, $50, and they had taken that. This robbery scared the normally fearless Leisha. She told my mom, I don't feel comfortable here. I want to get out. On a Saturday afternoon, Leisha and her mother looked for a new apartment. But on Monday, Leisha didn't show up for work, which was highly unusual. The employer for the restaurant where she was working were concerned and called her mother. So she contacted the apartment manager and asked to be let into the apartment. 
Lisa Schulmeyer was brutally strangled to death. She was placed in her bathtub, face down, with a gag in her mouth and blindfold over her eyes. I looked in the bathroom and I saw her in the bathtub, and then I knew she was dead. I knew she was. I didn't go in. I, I just, I just told the manager to go down and call the police. I just knew. The last known contact with Leisha was two days earlier. The body had been there for hours, and much of the evidence had either been washed away or damaged by the water in the tub. The medical examiner didn't find any evidence of a sexual assault. There was no biological or seminal fluid that was found. The closest thing to a witness was the apartment manager, and he wasn't much help. He indicated that he might have seen somebody outside in the area, but didn't give any information to the police that would have been helpful. Detectives were perplexed by the crime scene. Drawers had been rifled. A blanket had been draped out of Leisha's bedroom and was tied to the fire escape, a possible escape route. But there was no sign of forced entry. If Leisha's killer got in by the front door, he could have left the same way. The scene was confusing. The clothes were shredded, the knife, the ropes, the pantyhose, all that stuff. It, it was a chaotic scene. Leisha had no significant defensive wounds. A knife from a matching set that came from inside the apartment was found near the body. In fact, all the implements of this crime came from inside. The suspect came unprepared. He used everything in her apartment once he got there. Police soon concluded nothing had been stolen. The scene had been staged to look like a robbery. Even stranger, Leisha's stereo, which had been stolen just a month before her murder, was back in her apartment, something detectives were unable to explain. It was kind of up in the air as to how that stereo ultimately ended up back in her bedroom. It looked like someone, other than Leisha, apparently had free access to her apartment. The question was who? This show is supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Maybe you'd go hiking or take a much-needed nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? BetterHelp wants you to know that now's the time to choose happiness. And working with a therapist can help you get closer to a more blissful you. Therapists are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions. And they teach productive coping skills, giving you a greater sense of confidence to face your stress and anxiety. With BetterHelp, you get the benefits of in-person therapy. Plus, it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. BetterHelp is connected over 3 million people and counting with licensed therapists, all 100% online. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forensic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot forensic. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The lack of forced entry into Leisha Schollmeyer's apartment and her being blindfolded led detectives to an early conclusion. It just suggests that she knew exactly who her killer was, and he knew that she knew him. Leisha was outgoing and had plenty of male friends, both at work and at school. As detectives prepared to contact these young men, they were stopped cold by one in particular. His name was Lonnie Passy. He lived in the apartment directly below Leisha's, and he'd recently finished a six-year stint in jail for his involvement in a fatal bar fight. Lonnie Passy was a person that Leisha met at jail. She went with a friend of hers to the jail because her friend's boyfriend was in jail, and they became pen pals, and she would write to him. And so when Lonnie got out of jail, he moved into the same apartment complex that Leisha was living in. And he expressed a clear romantic interest in Leisha. He was a con. He had been in jail. And so he came out thinking that he was going to hook up with her, and she was not interested. She said, I like your car, but I don't like you. And that's kind of how my sister was. She didn't like pussyfoot over everybody's feelings, you know? This hardly tied Lonnie to Leisha's murder, but something else appeared to. He had scratches across his upper body. He had indicated to police that he had received those scratch marks a week or two before. But that's not what the medical examiner said. She told police that Lonnie's scratches were just a few days old. This would have been around the time of Leisha's murder, and Lonnie's alibi for these scratches, in fact, all of his alibis, eventually collapsed. The night of the the homicide, Lonnie claims he was with his girlfriend, Kathy, at the time. So that was his alibi. Later, she states she was not with Lonnie, nor did she ever give him those scratches. And since Leisha knew Lonnie, she would most likely have let him into her apartment. Even stranger was the mystery stereo, the one that had been stolen and then suddenly reappeared in Leisha's apartment after her murder. The stereo had previously been seen in Lonnie Passy's apartment, and so for it to end up back in her apartment raised a lot of suspicion as to how that stereo got there. Everything pointed to Lonnie. The problem was that detectives couldn't prove anything. Even worse, DNA in crime science didn't even exist. This was 1977, a full 10 years before the world's first ever DNA conviction. Leisha's rape kit came up empty, even for blood type. Back in the 70s, there was no crime lab that had any specialization on sex assault kits that could determine 
if there was uh, sperm present or anything like that. There was no hard evidence against Lonnie or anyone else. Years and then decades slipped by. Leisha's case got colder and colder. So all leads had gone and there was nothing else that they could do. And unfortunately, the case, like many others, went to the bottom of a heap of a pile of unsolved crimes. It gets to the point where you, you don't even tell people it happened because it's, a, it's an open hole in your life. But detectives and Leisha's family never fully gave up hope. Her mother went over every possibility and kept in contact with detectives. A lot of people, when I watch your show, I hear them say how they can't go on. And you know, that's one thing you've got to do. You've got to go on. And I had four children at home that needed me to go on. And I did it for them. My mom was watching forensic files and she was watching all these things. And every time a case was solved that was that many years old, she'd be like, well, then leashes could be solved. I didn't know she was doing that because I would have probably told her to stop it, you know, because I didn't believe in it. But as time passed, they started to believe and forensic science ultimately justified their faith. the dawn of the 21st century, DNA technology was revolutionizing how police investigated crimes. Many cases that had gone stone cold were reopened, including Leisha Schollmeyer's. When you have DNA, it's not just the evidence from before. Now we can open up new doors, take that very same evidence, and find DNA out of a cloth that was tied up for a gag to be put in her mouth. Detective Hillary Gordon was one of the investigators assigned to Leisha's case when it was reopened in 2016. I thought it was a very solvable case, and I just found it fascinating. Every time I had a free moment, I would work on this case and read through every transcript, every interview, every detail. As Detective Gordon re-examined the case file, she noticed something detectives back in the 70s would not have focused on. I noticed that the photographs of the victim in her bathtub showed her face down. And the knots from the blindfold and the gag were at the back of her head and were not submerged in water. Large amounts of skin cells would be sloughed off while tying the knots on those pieces of clothing, a potentially rich source of DNA. That is, if those items were still in evidence and if they hadn't been contaminated by investigators not familiar with DNA. Did they use gloves to move her out of the bathtub? Who touched her, moving her from the scene to the medical examiner's office that could have left DNA? And one photograph I was able to collect from the medical examiner's office of the autopsy showed them wearing gloves, and I was so thrilled. Amazingly, nearly 40 years after the crime, the gag and blindfold from the scene were still in evidence storage. And in a key break, the knots had not been untied. When I pulled it out of the bag, it was still tied in the exact same way that it had been when it was on her body. The gag and the blindfold were still completely intact. In 2013, 
Traditional swabbing generated Leisha's DNA and also some DNA from an unidentified male. They tried conventional swabbing and we did find YSDR DNA and YSDR DNA focuses in on the male chromosome, the Y chromosome, but it just wasn't enough to develop a full SDR profile. And that full profile was needed to provide a conclusive identification. So with new forensic technology coming online every year, investigators waited for tech to catch up to their case. And in 2016, it looked like it might have in the form of a new forensic tool called MVAC. MVAC gives investigators opportunities to collect DNA where they couldn't get it before, especially the rough and poor surfaces like rocks and bricks, even some clothing items, where traditional methods like swabbing and scraping and cuttings won't necessarily collect the amount of DNA that's needed to produce a good profile. MVAC has been known to gather 39 times more DNA than traditional swabbing. But would it work on a couple of flimsy pieces of cloth that had been sitting in storage for almost 40 years? If so, the knots tied in those pieces of cloth would be key. We're going to target those because we feel like those have been manipulated the most, knotting up and interacting with the suspect's hands. MVAC essentially bathes the test item in a neutral solution. This loosens up the DNA, which is then vacuumed up for analysis. The solution is extracted, leaving the DNA behind. Next step is something called amplification. DNA amplification is the DNA photocopier forensics, taking small amounts of DNA and making it into massive amounts of DNA. The result, in addition to Leisha's DNA, was a full male profile almost certainly the killers. We come back and say, ah, it worked. It worked. Those kind of wow moments, those light bulb moments are amazing. And they're so few and far between that when they happen, you just have to relish it and you just have to, you have to celebrate. Now investigators turn to their top suspect. Lonnie Passy had been on their radar since Leisha's murder and they were convinced this DNA profile would tie him to the crime. But DNA doesn't lie. I was absolutely shocked, but now it makes so much sense. In the four decades since Leisha Schollmeyer's murder, detectives and her family kept a close watch on Lonnie Passy, the chief suspect. In 2016, they were convinced their new DNA profile would prove Lonnie was Leisha's killer and were stunned to find they were mistaken. I was absolutely shocked that it did not match Lonnie Passy because we thought he was absolutely the guy for this homicide. Lonnie had nothing to do with it. I don't know where Lonnie got the scratches. That's that's the million-dollar question, I suppose. But Lonnie didn't have anything to do with this homicide. But investigators were not back to square one. They entered the MVAC-generated genetic profile into CODIS, the national DNA database, and were stunned yet again. And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I stood up 
in the office and I started jumping up and down and I was yelling, oh my God, we've, we solved this case, we've solved this case. The DNA profile matched Patrick McCabe, the apartment manager who led Leisha's mom to her body way back in 1977. I was aghast that he actually had the nerve to walk into that apartment with me, knowing I was going to find the woman he had killed. And he stood right there and actually called the police for me. I mean, what kind of a sick person is like that, you know? I have no idea. No idea. How could you do that to another human being? How could you do that to the mom that you would allow that to happen to her? To see her own daughter killed in such a violent fashion. It's cold. McCabe, 20 years old at the time of Leisha's murder, knew she lived alone, and he had the keys to all the apartments in the complex. Back in 1977, police were so convinced Lonnie Passy was the killer that McCabe slipped away. McCabe ultimately wound up in Florida. His DNA entered the database because of another sexually motivated crime. In 1998, he had sexually assaulted a 14-year-old and had been convicted of that crime and sent to prison for a year for that crime. Forty long years after Leisha's murder, McCabe was finally confronted with the evidence. He soon realized science had caught up with him and confessed. I went up to her apartment. It was dark. I raped her. I'm scared. McCabe took a plea deal and was sentenced to 10 years to life. We could never give him what he deserves. We'd have to be like him to do it. He got 40 years of freedom. I. No, he didn't get what he deserves. Investigators believe McCabe long planned to rape Leisha. On the night of the murder, he used his key, entered the apartment, grabbed a knife from the kitchen, and attacked her while she slept. She could do nothing as he tied her up and gagged her before the assault. Then, knowing she could identify him, he convinced himself he had no choice but to kill her. He strangled her and submerged her in the tub, hoping the evidence would wash away, which it did until the MVAC conclusively tied him to a crime he'd gotten away with for 40 long years. Cops are only human, and and they're only given what evidence they can find in that, but a machine that can go so much further into the molecules, and it gives the police so much weaponry to fight with. In the process of inventing the MVAC, my dad always had the understanding that the reason that he was given the resources to develop the MVAC was to make a difference. It was to help somebody that couldn't be helped otherwise. The MVAC was superb. It did exactly what we wanted it to do. It gave Leisha justice. It gave her family closure. It put a very horrible person in prison. It ultimately just did 
what all of us couldn't do for 40 years.